Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is editor Chris Clow to talk about the impact of rising rates and high home prices on the reverse mortgage space. Hey, I'm Alex Bridgman. I'm the director of data strategy at Altos Research, and we have just released my new podcast called House of Data. House of Data is all about how the most ambitious companies in housing are using data to make better decisions and investments. We have guests like Zach Ronstadt, Darren Bloomquist, Alex Villacorta, Ralph McLaughlin, and more. This podcast is designed for housing professionals and executives who want to use data more and build data-driven organizations in housing. Episodes come out every other Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. So go ahead, go find it on Spotify, iTunes, go find House of Data and hit subscribe. Chris, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. I'm glad to see that uh, that the house is still standing, even though I hosted this show a couple of times last week. So- no, you did a great <laughs> job. I've been catching up on those episodes, really enjoy them. And it's great to have such a versatile player on my team who can be, uh, you know, on both sides of the microphone when it comes to you know, doing a podcast because you are a very able host. But today I get to interview you because you're also creating a lot of um, news on the reverse mortgage daily side and for housing wire that I get to ask you about. So it's awesome. Oh, well, thank you for the kind words. Much appreciated. No, I was, I, I really do appreciate it. So the first thing I kind of wanted to jump into was a lot of our audiences on the forward mortgage side, or they're on the real estate side, and they may not understand a lot of things about reverse. And one of the things that I think I'd like to talk about, which you've written about this week, is the impact of home price appreciation and rate increases on reverse mortgages. Because they're structured different, I just think it would be really great if you kind of, you know, how do, how does, let's start with rates first. How do rising interest rates really affect reverse mortgages? It affects the amount of proceeds that a borrower can have. So if there is a, a higher rate than it, since a reverse mortgage is a negatively amortizing loan, then uh, it, it, it basically just impacts the amount of money that a borrower can bring home from, uh, from a reverse mortgage loan. So if they choose to take their proceeds uh, either in a regular kind of a disbursement, if they want to put it in a, in a line of credit, or if they want to take it in a lump sum, which is an option, then the rates can dictate exactly how much money they can uh, have access to through the equity that they built up in their home. Generally, with a reverse mortgage, you know you can't access the full amount of uh, of, of a home's value, but uh, you can access a pretty sizable percentage of it but the fluctuation of rates will um, will naturally impact uh, the amount of money that a borrower has access to so rates uh, you know the industry is uh, just as sensitive to rates uh, on the reverse side as the forward side seems to be and the turbulence in rates has also greatly impacted uh, the amount of new originations. So um, I think I've talked at this sh- on this show before, p- particularly during the summer of 2022 and in 2021. You know, there was a huge refinance boom for reverse mortgages, and that was on the back of lower rates. People were able to get access to a higher amount of loan proceeds and, and apply them to whatever they needed uh, cash for. 
And now that's not so much the case. That refi boom has entirely dried up. Uh, that boom constituted at or more than 50% of volume in 2022. So with that being gone, uh, it hampered reverse mortgage volume generally quite a lot. Uh, so we, what we've seen over the past several months is this sort of mass shift back to uh, what some analysts call equity takeout cases, which are new originations for cu- customers that have never before interacted with the reverse mortgage industry. That act- a lot of lenders have doubled down on that activity, and uh, it has made a lot of difference. But we are still nowhere near the volume levels that we saw during the pandemic period, uh, and that's arguably largely because of the rate environment. Let's talk about, um, so when you take out a reverse mortgage, you have those fees that are like, what is it? Two to 4% of the, of the home price. Right. And so, you know, one of the stories that you wrote was about how, um, reverse mortgage loan officers are talking to, you know, prospective borrowers about why it's still worthwhile. So say if you're getting less of a benefit and how much money you can get back from your house, but you're still having to say, uh, pay those same fees. And and what were some of the things that they point out to borrowers about that? Well, when it comes to the fees, a lot of times when I talk to longtime industry participants or analysts or educators, probably most especially, what they will say is that, yes, a reverse mortgage does have a lot of or, or a rather high amount of upfront fees, especially when you compare it to a forward mortgage, but what needs to be taken into account and the thing that is a critical difference maker between a forward and a reverse mortgage is the problem, quote unquote problem that a borrower has that needs to be addressed by taking the loan out. So are you going to, by considering a reverse mortgage, are you going to be uh, solving more problems than you're creating basically? What is the value proposition of having that access to the equity that you built up in your home. And when a a borrower, particularly someone who might be house rich, cash poor, as they say, uh, could eliminate an existing forward mortgage payment, then that is a component of the value proposition. How much is it worth to you to wake up one day with a, a forward mortgage payment and then wake up the next day not really having to worry about that until you either move out or sell the home or pass away in in certain cases. So the the fee structure most of the time reverse professionals will try to contextualize the the upfront costs associated with a reverse mortgage in those terms. So when it comes to uh to sort of the current environment um, you know, this has been a, a year of adjustment for the reverse mortgage industry at large, and not a lot of it necessarily has to do with product features as much as the things that are happening in and around the business. But positioning the value proposition has just gained that much more importance because as we've talked about before, and as anyone who reads RMD will know on, on, on a regular basis, uh, talking about that value proposition is a key factor to try and connect with uh, with new and potential borrowers. So uh, if you are experiencing a difficult operating environment and you're trying to make a connection with a potential borrower, then it's the value proposition that needs to take uh, center stage when it comes to appealing to people and trying to potentially close a new reverse mortgage loan. So 
the value proposition has certainly been impacted by the jump in interest rates, but uh, that doesn't do away with the value proposition, which is what a lot of the educators that I spoke to recently have said. Like Dan Holtquist, who is the author of Understanding Reverse, and, and he works for Movement Mortgage in their education department, he, he said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, let's not blame interest rates for low industry volume. If you strip away Heckam to Heckam refinance volume in 2022, endorsements have actually been weak since 2009, even when the 10-year CMT dropped to nearly 0.5% in August of 2020. So you consider the rate movements. The fact of the matter for these people who are embedded in the industry is that demographics remain in the favor of the business and uh, loan originators are continuing to buck the trend by leaning more on their referral partnerships to try and generate new business. I think that's really interesting to to be like, you know, let's step back and, and look at this because there are a lot of things going on. One of the things that that um, article talks about is that as you said, I mean, the demographics are in the favor of reverse mortgages. I just got off of a debate with um, Logan Motoshami and Greg Crennan, um, who's an economist, about our home prices crashing. Um, they had two very different views on that. And one of the things that uh, Greg said was, you know, you have all these baby boomers who are going to sell. And then we had a lot of, it was a very interactive uh, debate and people were talking in the comments about, you know, no, they're just going to hold on to it or what are they going to do? And, you know, it feels like everybody's kind of waiting for the baby boomers to decide what exactly are they doing? Because they're still buying houses. They can buy with cash sometimes. So it's just so interesting, the whole what are they going to do and how does this affect reverse? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to the attitudes of seniors and you're talking baby boomers, you're talking members of the silent generation, even uh, when it comes to the home, uh, one of the things that I think can be a little too isolated from the conversation at times is the, the, the real complex emotions that people feel when it comes to their homes because in many cases for these older people like they've spent decades there and they might see that home as uh you know like a potential bequest asset so they don't want to leave like the survey that i wrote up recently pegged that 90% of surveyed seniors do not want to leave their homes so what options do they have? You know, uh, and a reverse mortgage, just to be clear, is not necessarily going to be the best option for a senior who wants to leave their home to an heir. It's still technically an option because the heir, uh, at the time that the loan ends, has the option to satisfy the debt and retain ownership uh, instead of selling if that is an option that is available to them. But uh, by and large, you know, when it comes to the attitudes of seniors and whether or not they want to sell their homes, it's pretty clear that a lot of them don't. Like some people will have to. Some people will have to make the choice of either downsizing or maybe taking a, a renovation on an existing home in order to more appropriately fashion the living space for the circumstances that accompany everyone into old age. But uh, by and large, aging in place is something that has grown uh, just it's just grown more popular over the years. And when you couple those considerations along with the, the ballooning costs of later life care, whether you're talking in-home health care, you're talking a dedicated uh, senior living facility or a nursing home. I mean, the proposition, too, 
of living in a nursing home, especially after the pandemic, that's not something that a lot of seniors are particularly keen to become involved with. Uh, so if you had the option, you know, of going to this maybe strange place, even if it, ha- it comes with a lot of amenities, you know, you're still upending your life and you're totally changing what your living circumstances are, or you might have the option to stay in the place that you've been most comfortable for upwards of decades. I mean, it's not, uh, when you consider the emotional components of the discussion, it's not that surprising why seniors are wanting to remain in their homes. So, uh, you know, having the economic conversations and looking at the trends and analyzing them on that level with, with granular detail is of course, critically important to understanding the landscape. But I think it's also just as important to understand what the emotional mindset is of these people who are the ones who have to make that decision. And they have to make that decision, you know, in concert with their friends, with their loved ones, and just to determine what their later years are going to look like. I think that's such a great point. And it's something that we can, anybody looking at, you know, the situation could easily go, well, here's the math. Here's how the math works out. And here's what's going to happen. Um, you know, there for many years, we're like, oh, there's going to be a silver tsunami. And I think it just did not take into account that, you know, we're not robots. And <laughs> the, the reason there hasn't been a silver tsunami, to your point, is like, where, what are their other options? And the other options aren't that great. And and they haven't gotten greater since, you know, uh, the start of when we thought the baby boomers were going to, you know, or did start to retire, right? When they reached retirement age, it's not like, wow, there's so many more different and unique, innovative options out there now for them. And you have rents that have, have gotten higher. And I know as someone who has had a big family and now that the kids are grown, downsizing is easier than it sounds. There's a lot of places, there aren't any smaller houses. Like it, I mean, that it, it's hard to find smaller if you're used to a certain, you know, you, you want nice and small, you want ni- a small in a certain area. So it's easy to say downsizing. It's hard to do. It, it's hard just to find what that looks like. Yeah. And, and home price appreciation plays into that as well, because uh, for a senior who might be looking at the proposition of downsizing seriously, there might be some edge cases where they might be looking to downsize into a home, but that smaller home is outside of their price range because home prices have exploded so much. So that just kind of punctuates, at least to me, that there might not be a better option for certain people other than remaining where they are. That's, I think, what a lot of reverse mortgage professionals have tried to uh, to illustrate for certain people is that downsizing, it might not be financially feasible unless you find some way to access the equity that you have built up in your home. And, you know, there are other options outside of a reverse mortgage when it comes to tapping that home equity, but nothing that is specifically designed for that age group. So that's certainly a part of the conversation that reverse mortgage professionals try to have both with prospective clients as well as with referral partners about what is going to be the most sustainable path for a senior to find housing that they're satisfied with, that they're comfortable with, and that is within their their means to be able to afford. I mean, there's just there are so many different elements of the broader housing conversation that come into this. And considering the demographics like we talked about, I mean, this is only going to become a more 
pronounced issue as our population continues to get older, statistically speaking. I was really interested in in um, your recent story that's uh, the headline is the impacts of home price appreciation rate increases on reverse mortgages. You talk about home price appreciation and the volume impacts there and how that might affect even migration of seniors from, you know, it affects people on the West Coast differently than, you know, in um, to the East Coast markets. And I would love for you to talk about that a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes down to just different appreciation rates for different regions. You know, if we're seeing home values uh, explode relative to what we're seeing in the, the 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 mid part of the country or on the East Coast, then if a senior is considering uh, changing where they live, then they're probably going to look at a place that is less expensive to move to, you know, and there are options that allow a reverse mortgage borrower to actually purchase a new home with a reverse mortgage is a heckum for purchase. And it is uh, ludicrously underused in comparison with uh, with a traditional home equity conversion mortgage, uh, not for lack of trying on the parts of a lot of the lenders. But, um, you know, the, the different levels of home price appreciation certainly play a role in that. But interestingly enough, you know, a lot of what we're seeing when it comes to climate problems, those are starting to impact the choices that people are making. Uh, and they might be making riskier choices. You know, when you look at the trend of home prices in areas that might be more prone to climate events or extreme heat events, the costs of those properties go down, relatively speaking, in comparison to other higher value areas that might not be as prone to those kinds of weather events. So you're actually starting to see people gravitate toward riskier parts of the country just because they're cheaper. And I think that that kind of does help to crystallize uh, a lot of the, the the serious problems that the country at large faces with housing affordability, if people are are making their their own safety kind of a secondary concern related to where they live, then uh, then we need to have some some serious conversations about how to rein in affordability. But it impacts the reverse mortgage industry just because uh, those costs affect the migration patterns. And where people are going to be able to uh, to potentially take advantage of a reverse mortgage product, uh, the the story that you were referring to was based on a presentation made earlier this year by DBRS Morningstar, and an, and an analyst described uh, you know the the home price index. It's come up a lot throughout the country, but isolating the last six months of uh, the end of 2022 reveals what he called the shifted vectors. Uh, he said the East Coast remains in a positive light, but Western states are starting to see their HPIs retracting quite a lot. And so the impact of that on the reverse mortgage business is that Western states with slowing appreciation could also translate into lower qualification rates in the near term, which could shift origination volume further toward the East Coast. So it's a fascinating way to sort of uh, examine what the impacts are of home price appreciation and where uh, uh, it is isolated in different parts of the country because people very clearly, regardless of how old you are and regardless of your circumstances, are looking at affordability as a chief concern. And in some cases, affordability is outweighing safety. 
Well, and in some cases, those two things go together. So, you know, right now we have a hurricane that um, made landfall in uh, Florida and is, and is, and is making its way up. We had um, the fires in Maui very recently. And what we see, especially in Florida and in California, is that you have insurers who have pulled out of the state, um, your homeowner's insurance, right? Your property insurers. And what that has done is it's really shot up property insurance prices for people who are staying. And that, if, if you're on a fixed income, it's hard enough for, you know, somebody who's still bringing in money, you know, and, and maybe could increase their salary or whatever. But if you're on a fixed income and your total costs went up because of your insurance, that's definitely going to affect migration patterns. And we already see, like, um, we just had a, a, a housing wire story that uh, Sarah Marks wrote about, uh, you know, the fact that Texas continues to outpace other states in attracting new residents. Um Houston, San Antonio, Fort Worth were all on that top six list. And then you had Jacksonville, Florida, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. But I can imagine that that Florida, people flocking to Florida is going to be impacted by that. Yeah, uh, especially considering the uh, just the the rate of uh, insurance coverage as well. I mean, it's it's insane how many different kinds of things are, are playing into the climate conversation um, because – we we've covered on housing wire several times about how certain uh, property insurance companies are pulling out of states that are inherently at higher risk of, of extreme climate events. And that affects these things too, because uh, obviously as probably anybody listening to this show knows very well, you kind of need insurance when you are paying into a mortgage. It is a, it is a, a pretty critical requirement. So if you have mortgage borrowers in these areas where insurance companies are actually pulling their coverage back or in some cases canceling policies, then, then that could create a serious problem. Now, there are options for the lender. The lender could, uh, could tack on insurance that mostly protects them and doesn't protect the borrower. And that's actually a subject of a story that I'm, uh, I'm writing up on Reverse Mortgage Daily right now. Uh, the CFPB just put out a consumer guide about what a consumer can do if their insurance, their property insurance coverage is either uh, limited, if the costs explode, or if the coverage is canceled outright. And I think that just also just brings into greater focus uh, all of the different kinds of, um, of of systemic issues that could arise, and sort of the cascading failure of certain uh, of of certain issues to be properly accounted for when it comes to the home buying process. But we've also seen, you know, the White House has declared climate related emergencies across several different states because of flooding or wildfires or a, a whole host of other problems. And so it doesn't seem like these climate issues are going to be going away anytime soon. And, and certainly the insurance industry is going to have to evolve and the mortgage industry is going to have to evolve along with it in order to make sure that these borrowers in impacted areas are properly accommodated. And the, the, the radius of impacted areas only seems to be growing, you know, especially with what we've seen in Florida over the past week. And like you said, the, the fires in Maui that devastated uh, the town of Lahaina uh, is, is horrible to see, but there are also these practical questions that need to be asked and sufficiently answered in order to make sure that people's needs are met. 
It is it is really interesting to see how that further complicates some of the choices for reverse mortgages. I mean, it, it's a it's a thorny problem no matter where you're sitting. If you are a renter, if you are a homeowner, if you are you know wherever you are, but um, I do know that there's that extra layer. Yeah, most definitely, and you know it's it's going to be. Just from a reporter's perspective, it's it's definitely a very interesting time to be uh, dialed into the housing space. But uh, you know, we also have to understand that uh, there are a lot of people who are impacted by these problems on a very personal level, and uh, so it's it's always important for us to balance the the human equation with the the facts that we get from uh, experts on the ground, from the government, from the companies that are active in the spaces. So that's what we try to do on a regular basis. Well, Chris, we really appreciate uh, the job you're doing at Reverse Mortgage Daily and also for Housing Wire um, covering reverse mortgage, but also so much on the federal beat as it is a very active uh, regulatory environment and and so much is happening. So thanks for coming on the show and uh, updating us on all of it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me back, Sarah. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insights.